0: Amen. Well, praise the Lord. What a fitting way to kind of begin and our sermon together with a reminder that God wants our all from us. As I said, today is Serve Sunday. And uh, this is probably going to be the most unusual Serve Sunday message you will ever hear in your entire life. How many of you have been with us for a Serve Sunday before? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. This is weird what I'm gonna preach today. Um, As you know, we are studying through the book of what? Joshua and just happened to where we land in the text today is Joshua chapter seven and Joshua chapter eight, which the main, sto- main story there in seven and eight is the story of Achan. And if you know the story of Achan, it doesn't go well for him. So if you're tracking along, what we're really saying here for Serve Sunday is if you don't serve, we're gonna like, yeah, we're gonna pile all the stones on top of you. I'm just, kid- I'm just kidding. I do think the Lord does have something to say from us from this text this morning related to serving. And this would be a brief apologetic for why we try to work through sections of scripture together. Because sometimes you would ignore sections of this that are hard or a little more gritty. But this passage calls us into some significant mindsets. So here's what I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna prep you. This is gonna feel pretty negative at the beginning of the message. It's gonna feel pretty confrontational. But I promise you, we're getting to a place at the end where there's gonna be some good news and some hope for you. So listen with attentive hearts, receive, let the Lord speak to you and even challenge you in some ways. And then I promise you, we are gonna to get to the good news at the end. So can you hang on with me? All right, let me be like the bad guy for a little bit and then we'll be the good guy at the end. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, help us as we open your word, we need you. We've prayed it, we've sang it, and Lord, we confess it once again, we need you. Lord, I pray that the good shepherd would speak to his sheep this morning. Lord, would you get me out of the way? Would you hide me behind the cross? And would you incline our hearts to your testimonies? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, if you haven't been living under the rock for the last several decades, you've noticed there's been a tendency in our society, in businesses in particular, towards self-service. Have you noticed this? Everything's going self-service now. How many of you, probably few of you in this room, how many of you remember when gas stations used to have an attendant there? Anybody remember that? Okay, all right. Um, You know, But today, if you saw a gas station attendant, that would really be out of the ordinary. That would be a really outlier. Why? Because it's serve yourself. Or you go to restaurants and many restaurants, they have the drinks right there where you can serve what? Yourself. Some restaurants have even gone to a full-on kiosk where you order so you can serve yourself. Or Amazon. They've really perfected this, right? I mean, you don't even have to go into the store anymore. You can do all your shopping from your bed, in your pajamas, and you can serve yourself. Or perhaps you go to the grocery store, Publix or Kroger or places like Home Depot or Lowe's and they all have self checkout. You don't have to interact with anybody. You can simply one more time serve yourself. I think for the most part, these are really ingenious inventions. I'm not against them. I mean, I love me some self checkout, it's awesome. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Uh, and, And it's a good business model and it's actually good for the customer as well. But all of this self service reminds us of a fundamental principle of the human condition, and it is this. We don't need a lot of convincing to serve ourselves. We don't. We just don't need to be persuaded very hard to serve ourselves. We all intrinsically don't mind serving us ourselves. This principle is consistently hit on in the Bible. For instance, Philippians chapter two, verse number four, everyone should look not for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Why does Paul have to say that? Because we're prone to look out for our own interest. Or Jesus, Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, love your neighbor as you love who? Yourself. Or Galatians chapter five, verse number 13. Don't use this freedom in Christ that you've received as an opportunity for the flesh or as an opportunity to serve yourself, but rather serve one another through love. Why does the Bible have to consistently remind us not to serve ourselves, but to serve others? Well, think about it for just a minute. Just think about it. You ever been around a toddler before? How many of you have been around these little tyrants? Yes, okay. I heard one person say one time, toddlers would kill you. They just lack the size. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you don't have to teach a toddler to be greedy. You don't. You don't have to teach them to, to be unkind. No, that comes default. Like they just come that way. But you do have to teach them to share. You do have to teach them to use kind words. Why? Because it seems in human beings, selfishness comes standard. It's part and parcel of being a human. Selfishness comes standard. We tend to think of ourselves before thinking of others. I bring this up this morning because that is exactly what we see happening in the story of Joshua chapter 7 and 8 today. After Israel had experienced this great triumph, over the walled city of Jericho. I mean, massive enemy with a strong army and great fortifications. They move on in their conquest of the promised land to go to the little city of Ai. And the Bible highlights repeatedly that this is is not a significant enemy. This is a small enemy with few people. But when the children of Israel go on the offensive, things do not go well. Look at what it says, Joshua chapter seven, verse number three. Don't send all the people, but send about 2,000 or 3,000 of the men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear all the people out. I mean, this is, this is confidence supreme right here. We don't even need the whole army. Just send a little bit of people out there. So about 3,000 men went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down 36 of them and chased them from outside the city gates to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people lost heart. What happened? Joshua falls down before the Lord and says, what is going on? I don't understand with this, what is going on. Basically, God says to Joshua, get up. Verse number 11, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put those things in their own belongings. You see, when God invited Israel to be involved in his work of taking over the city of Jericho, he gave them particular instructions about how that was to be done. They were to march around the city, they were to blow the trumpets, and then God would do the fighting for them. But in the destruction of the city, they weren't to take any plunder. God was very explicit about that. In fact, back in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, we read the Lord's instructions. But keep your thing yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. And yet, in spite of the Lord's magnificent display of power, he knocked down the city walls. And in spite of his clear and direct warning that there would be blood to pay if you defied his commands, Achan defied the Lord and chose to do things his own way. Joshua seven, verse number 21. When I saw among the spoils, a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and took them. The story of Joshua seven and eight is a cautionary tale. And it reminds us of a profound principle. Look, and it's this, God's work must be done in God's way. God's work must be done in God's way. Here's the thing. Did God need the Israelites to topple Jericho? Yes or no? He's God. I mean, they didn't even really contribute. I mean, do you think really walking around the city or the ram's horn? God was like, man, if I just had a group of people with a marching band, then I could take over Jericho. No, he didn't need them at all. And yet he chose to include them in his work, in his supernatural display of power. He says, guys, you are invited into my work in the world, but listen, if you're gonna be doing my work in the world, you better do it my way. Achan heard the warnings, Achan heard the counsel, and yet the problem was Achan was not interested in God's kingdom, Achan was interested in Achan's kingdom he wasn't really about the agenda of God. He was really about the agenda of Achan. Yeah, 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 Lord, good plan, good plan. Nice job knocking down the plans. Now I gotta get some from me. Here's the reality. A true servant's heart values thy kingdom come over my kingdom come. And that's what Achan got backwards. Achan was about my kingdom come, not about thy kingdom come. Which leads me to my point this morning, it's simply this we must value the advancement of Christ's kingdom. You gotta be about Christ's kingdom if you're gonna serve the Lord without the selfish heart of of Achan. Remember, your default setting, if you're a human in this room, and as I'm looking around, it seems like everybody is. That's a joke, a bad one, but nevertheless, it is a joke. If you're a human being, then you have a bent, a bent towards selfishness. And in order for us to combat that sinful tendency of our heart, we have to say consciously, Lord, I am about your kingdom more than my kingdom. Lord, I'm about the advancement of your agenda, not my agenda. Sometimes those things align, but sometimes they don't align. And when they don't, your kingdom wins. It's the trump card. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That has to be the heart of a true servant leader who wants to follow the Lord. And that's where Achan got it wrong. If we get this right, if we have a heart that is really about the advancement of the kingdom of God in the world, listen very carefully, it will impact directly how and when and where you serve. If you are a kingdom person, it will impact how and when and where you serve. If you're about your agenda, it will impact how and when and where you'll serve. Those are two different sets of questions. If you're about Christ's kingdom and somebody says, hey, there's an opportunity to serve, you'll start to ask questions like, does this benefit the kingdom of Christ? Do I fit this role? Can I help the ball go forward? If you're your kingdom, you'll ask questions more like, do I like that? Is that convenient for me? Will I get recognition for it? You see how it changes everything? Whose kingdom is you about, if you're about, will determine how you serve. So, we want to look at here in a negative example of Achan, some characteristics of self service. And I would encourage you to look very carefully at your heart and see if some of these things are lurking in there because they certainly are present in mind at times. We need to look carefully at our heart and say, how have we adopted a self-service rather than a Christ-service mindset? We wanna be about Christ's kingdom, not my kingdom. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Amen? Okay, here's where we're going. So two characteristics of self-service. Number one, an appetite for personal advantage. That's the first characteristic of self-service. Although the Lord had made his instructions about taking plunder after the battle of Jericho, very clear, as we have seen, Achan decided to do exactly what the Lord said not to do. So what motivated him? Verse number 21 again. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, look at these next three words, I coveted them and took them. In other words, Achan saw an opportunity to enrich himself and he took it. Didn't matter what God said, he's like, I am really about me. I am serving, I am doing the Lord's work, but really my angle here is personal advantage. He was thinking like a mercenary how can I advance my agenda rather than a missionary? how can I advance God's agenda? And as devastating as Aiken's choices were, we must remember that sometimes there's a little mercenary in all of us, isn't there? So we serve the Lord and we serve others when it's convenient. Or we serve the Lord and we serve others when we really enjoy serving in that way or we serve the Lord and we serve others when we see how serving boosts our reputation or influence. We get the pat on the back, we get the recognition. And while I'm certainly not saying you need to say yes to every single serving opportunity that comes down the pipe, there does seem to be a reason why Jesus consistently has to say things like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because we tend to look out for number one We just have that tendency in our heart or why God says to his disciples, Jesus says, you know that the rulers of Gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions acts as tyrant over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. In God's economy, greatness is giving of yourself, not gaining for yourself. We live in an upside down kingdom and Christ says that you wanna be really great? You want to be really great? You give of yourself. You don't gain for yourself. You don't look for angles. You don't look for ways how this can benefit you. You look for ways how you can benefit the kingdom of God, the advancement of the gospel, the exaltation of the name of Christ. That is the the categories that you run your decision-making grid through, not do I like it, not is it comfortable, not is it convenient for me. Now certainly use wisdom in these things but we also have to recognize that God wants us to serve in counter-cultural ways to truly be great in his eyes. Now, I'm not suggesting that people in this room serve on the worship team because they secretly hope there's like a wedge of gold backstage somewhere. Or there's folks right now down there rocking babies because they're, they're coveting a Babylonian garment hidden in the toy refrigerator. I don't think that's going on at all. But what I do want to warn us against is serving primarily for personal advantage. Listen, we should serve primarily for kingdom advancement, not for personal advantage. We serve because we want the mission of God to go forward. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Number two. Not only is self-service marked by an appetite towards personal advantage, but it's also marked by an indifference towards personal impact. When Achan did what he did, he did not think about others at all. Achan's posture, his actions, his attitudes, his deceit didn't just hurt himself. Look at what it says in Joshua chapter seven, verse number five. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside of the city gates to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. And as a result, the people lost heart. God said, if you take any of the plunder, it will bring trouble, not just on yourself, but it will bring trouble to the whole company of Israel. And 36 people are dead because of Achan's actions. What is more, did you notice the attitude of the people of God now? After this disobedience of Achan and the resultant consequence of losing the battle, the whole nation lost heart. He discouraged all the people of God by his sin and disobedience. But it gets worse. If you know the story, God confronts Achan. He's discovered. He's found out. And he comes forward and he, and not just he, but his entire family faces judgment for his wrongdoing. So he hurts the nation. He hurts his family. He hurts the reputation of God and the people of God through his disobedience. Listen, the principle is this. A commitment to selfishness creates collateral damage. It's unavoidable. If you live with a selfish heart, you will hurt other people. You might think this is a personal sin. You might think this is private. You might think your selfishness doesn't have tendrils, but friends, based on the testimony of Scripture, you are mistaken. God will not be mocked. When we live with a selfish heart, it has its fingers and impacts into the lives of other people. Sadly, Aiken didn't care about or think about others. And by the way, those two things are often the same thing. Let me, let me say this. Sometimes we are so self-focused that we cannot imagine anything beyond our own perspective. And that's just as selfish as being a jerk can I kindly say that you might not intentionally say rude things to others, but if you never even think about others, that's self-centered too. Aiken either didn't care, which is bad, or didn't even think, which is equally bad because the result was the same. Friends, part of being selfless is not thinking about yourself all the time. That's part of being selfless. Um, Pastor Tim Keller says it very wisely. He says it like this. Is that up on the screen? Being selfless is to think of yourself less, not to think less of yourself. What do you mean by that, Ryan? I'm not advocating for some sort of like Debbie Downer mentality on yourself. I'm not not thinking about kind of disdain for yourself. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is be so preoccupied with Christ and his kingdom that you're not, you are not—you don't have time to be focused on yourself all the time. You're just preoccupied with other things, namely Jesus and his people. And so you don't have time to beat yourself up. You just think of yourself less, not less of yourself. Don't hate yourself. You're made in the image of God. But the key to growing in selflessness is not just loving yourself. The key to growing in selflessness is loving God. Sometimes we try to heal from bad self-perception from looking inward, but perhaps we need to heal from bad self-perception by looking upward. You are made in the image of God and you are glorious because of him. You bear his stamp. You are remarkable in that focus on him and the one who sent his son to save you and rescue you from your sin. And then all of a sudden you won't care so much about your own opinion of yourself because you'll have God's opinion of yourself. The way that we begin to be selfless people is thinking of ourselves less and Aiken got it wrong because the only person he thought of in this story was himself. One of the joys of becoming a follower of Jesus, part of the community of faith, is that you truly belong. The Bible uses imageries like a family or a body, that when you trust in Jesus, you are made part, but that has kind of a dual edge in that. When the Bible says that we are a body, it means not only do we all belong to one another, but we're all also necessary for one another. That's what it means to be part of a body in one sense. When Calvin, my now 18 year old, uh, was, was in the womb, I broke a, a tiny little bone in my right hand. It, it, they, they call it the snuff box because it's right here and there's little to no blood supply there. It's just a tiny, tiny little bone. It wasn't even a full break. It was just like this little teeny crack in it. And I went to the doctor and they said, oh man, we're gonna have to put you in a cast. I'm like, oh, no big deal. It's just a little bone here, no problem. And they said, "Uh, it doesn't heal very fast there because of the lack of blood. So it's gonna be eight weeks. And then I'm still thinking, oh, no big deal. Not a problem. It's just a little teeny bone, just gonna be like a little brace or something. I'm telling you friends, they put a cast on my hand from my fingers, about right here, I couldn't bend them, wrapped my thumb and it went all the way up to the middle of my bicep. For eight weeks, I could do little to nothing. I I couldn't, it was just like this giant thing on my arm because a teeny little bone here. That's really important for a guy who writes sermons for a living, by the way. Couldn't hold a pen, couldn't type, Trisha and I still joke about like she cut up all my food there and because we had little ones at the time, she would cut them into teeny little bites. And I was like, thank you, honey. No choking for this guy. I still have impulses that when I hold babies, I kind of scoop them up with my left arm because that arm was broken. Well, here's the idea. Man, even though that was a little teeny part of the body that wasn't doing its job that was injured or malfunctioning, it impacted the whole. And friends, that's true of us as well. Aiken's just one guy and he had an impact on the whole because he wasn't doing his job in a sense. You know, in Ephesians 4, it tells us that the body functions well when every part, every part is functioning as it ought to. Then the body grows itself up in love. We need to say, yes, I belong. I belong, praise God, I belong. But I don't belong to spectate. I have a role in the body. I'm not just a vestigial organ. This part of the body has no function. Every part of your body is critical. Every part has a role to play. Yeah, you may never get up on the stage at the church, but you are important and a necessary part of the body of Christ that has a function and a role to play to the glory of God for the good of his body. This is what God has called us to do and it's how we battle selfishness, to be sure. (laughs) This is a tragic story but it does conclude with a note of hope. After Achan's sin was discovered, he faced God's judgment and was executed for his disobedience and the destruction that he caused. It's a tragedy. The Bible tells us that a monument was erected so that Israel would not forget some realities. Look at what it says, Joshua chapter seven, verse number 26. They raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains still today. Look at this next phrase. This is critical to understanding the theology of this passage. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. So Achan, the guilty, faced the judgment that he deserved to turn away God's wrath from his people. And that pile of rocks was to remind God's people that the Lord is just and that sin is severe. But here's the problem: we all got a little Achan in us, don't we? We all tend to think of ourselves rather than others. We all tend to be a little more selfish than selfless. And if the Lord is just and sin is severe, are we all destined to the same fate as Achan? to face the wrath of God, to face the punishment that our sins so justly deserve? Gratefully, the answer is no. For one day, God would send the anti-Achan and his name is Jesus Christ. Yes, like Achan, Jesus faced judgment to deliver God's people. But unlike Achan, Jesus was innocent. Yes, like Achan, Jesus faced an ignoble criminal's death. But unlike Achan, Jesus offered himself up willingly for the sins of his people. Like Achan, Jesus turned aside the wrath of God. But unlike Achan, Jesus did it for the sins of others, not his own sins. And he didn't just do it for a minute, he did it for eternity. Achan's selfishness brought destruction, but Jesus' selflessness brought salvation. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. But what did he come to do? To serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And this has radical implications for how we live our lives. You see, because of the work of Jesus, we are free from our Achan-like hearts. You don't have to be like Achan anymore because Jesus came to rescue you when you couldn't rescue yourself. Listen to the words of Philippians chapter two. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not quite, count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptying himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross did you catch that because of Jesus's servant's heart you too can have a servant's heart we can serve others because Jesus first served us. Through Jesus, we are freed from seeking our own kingdom and free to seek the kingdom first. Through Jesus, we are free from looking out for our own interest and free to look out for the interest of others. Through Jesus, we are freed from having to receive and free to give freely. In one sense, we have been saved to serve. Sometimes we truncate the gospel of Jesus Christ and we think of the gospel as a then and there message. That is, Jesus died on the cross so then in heaven and there in heaven, we can worship and praise and be free in his presence. And that's true, wonderfully so. But do you know that the gospel is also a here and now message? Meaning that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you and I, people like you and I could be free in the here and now. We don't have to be a bunch of achens. But we through the work of Jesus can have hearts like the Savior. We have been freed through the work of the Savior on the cross from selfishness to live in selflessness. You are not a slave to yourself. Christ died to set you free. Yeah, Achan turned aside the wrath of God by paying for his own sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus turned away the wrath of God from your sins by taking your place, the innocent for the guilty, the just for the unjust to bring you to God. That's the greatest news in the world. We have a bunch of servants' hearts in here because the savior died to make it. So I am not who I once was and you are not who you once were if you have trusted in the work of Christ. He doesn't just change your destination, he changes your character. You have power, power to lay down your life for the good of others. Now listen, There are certainly many ways you can serve the Lord and serve others. And I'm sure there are countless ways going on in this room that I am not aware of. I'm not trying to discourage you that in any way, shape or form. But as a church, as a institution, as it were, the primary way where we mobilize people to use their time, talents and treasures for the good of the kingdom of God is what we call ministry teams. Ministry teams are made up of members of the gospel family who have taken responsibility for various aspect of the church's ministry to help our mission move forward. Man, aren't you thankful for the folks serving up in the booth right now on our production team that help us to worship the Lord? Aren't you thankful for the worship team who sang and played for us this morning to help us worship the Lord? Aren't you thankful for the people down the hall serving our little ones to enable us to worship and serve the Lord? Aren't you thankful for the grateful, the the happy face you saw when you walked in and somebody shaking your hand or giving you a hug or welcome you in in our connections team? These are just members of the Gospel Hope family who are saying, hey, we're taking responsibility for various aspects of the ministry so that the kingdom of God is advanced and disciples are made in our community. What we're gonna do in just a moment is give you an opportunity to connect with many of those ministry teams. So in just a moment, I'm gonna, we're gonna turn on some house music. We're gonna take a break. For about five minutes, and folks are going to go all over the room. They're going to have giant signs. You can't miss them. They are literally giant. They're going to go around the room, up the front, and down the sides of the room. And they're going to have various signs showing you various opportunities for you to serve. Lord willing, when you came in this morning, you got a little handout that outlines all of those opportunities along with a little of description. And here's what we want to encourage you to do. We want to encourage you to get plugged into a team right now. You might be new to the Gospel Hope family and just kind of exploring that. Man, go talk to a couple people, sign up, get some information and see how you can learn more. But we want everybody in here serving in some capacity, not because we need you, although we do, okay? Understand we do. Not because we need you primarily, but primarily because we know that God wants to meet you in your service. You know, there are some aspects of your sanctification, some ways that Lizzie, cannot be the Lizzie that Christ wants her to be if she's just a spectator. just can't. Like the only way that you grow is by serving. So maybe you feel a little bit stuck in your Christian life and you're, this is running, this is the narrative going through your mind. Well, I don't know, man. I I don't know if I have that much to offer. Shucks. I don't know if I really am wanted on a team. Listen, especially you needs to serve. Because sometimes the way that we get unstuck is by just taking that next spiritual step and saying, yes, Lord, I'm not sure what I can do, but I wanna do something in this. So can we do that in just a minute? I'm gonna pray for us. Those folks are gonna move. And then just let's have about five minutes of conversation. Don't hesitate, just go talk to them. You're not committing to do it right now, but you're getting more information, getting signed up so that they can contact you and share more about that team. Father, help us to like Jesus, be selfless and serve. Help us to embrace opportunities. I pray some people in here would just get encouraged this morning to take a step of boldness and begin serving in your kingdom for your agenda through our local church. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you for the opportunity that you invite us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Go find somebody and have a conversation. And you are welcome to continue those conversations. If you have any questions, if you have any questions about that and how you can get connected, will you come see Lynn Hall right here? Come see her and she can point you to the right ministry team leader. The other way that you can get connected is um, there's a QR code up on the screen. And you can use the Church Center app, and that shows you all the ministry team opportunities. Let me encourage you to take advantage of that. If you've yet to get plugged in or have questions, click on one of those teams, and an email will go to the leader, and you can have a conversation about that. I do want to invite another group of people up to the stage here in just one moment. As you know, um, Gospel Hope Church Um, and First Baptist Church, as of last week, has now merged into one congregation. We are now united as Gospel Hope Church. So praise the Lord for that, yeah. And over the last several months, I've had the opportunity to meet with some men, as well as their wives, in training our elders and elders' wives. And so we're really excited. We have nine elders now in our local body and we, yeah, praise God. And more on the way. So we want to take a minute right now and just bless the Lord for these men and their wives and really give glory to God and pray over them that they would embody what we talked about today, selfless not selfish leadership. So I wanna invite our elders and elders' wives to come on up here in the front. We just wanna take a moment and pray over them. Come on down, guys, come on. A few of them here. Very good. Just come right here, yeah, yeah. Come on up here. So we've got some we've got some singles here today. So Denise is, um, as many of you know, Denise Brown is uh, fighting leukemia right now. So we're praying for Denise. And Robert Hall is out on the road right now. And then some of our some of our folks were in the first service. And then Eddie. Eddie Kuhn here has joined us from the first service. So thanks so much, Eddie, for joining us. So I just wanna take a moment and pray over these couples, these men and their wives. Can we just kind of extend our hands symbolically and ask the Lord to have their hand on them? Father, we thank you so much that these folks have put their yes on the table. And I pray that you would fill them with wisdom and fill them with your spirit. I pray that they would care for our church family well Thank you for their commitment to train. Thank you for their commitment to work hard at um, for their marriages, for their families. Lord, I I just pray blessing over them. Would you protect our church? And would you use these men and women uh, in significant ways in the life of our body? Uh, Thank you. Thank you for the good and godly leaders you've entrusted to us as a church. I pray that we would follow their lead well. And I pray that they would lead well. Lord, I just pray for your grace on our church body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you're a member of Gospel Hope, be looking for communication from us soon. Uh, Every church member will have an elder assigned to them. So you'll be hearing from who that is in the near future. So bear with us. Uh, We crossed the finish line in terms of the legal documents. We've got a long way to go in terms of implementation. So be patient as we try to work through some of those things together. Let me kind of close Surf Sunday with this. When Achan was killed, there was a giant monument put over his grave, a pile of stones. And it was to remind the people of God the foolishness of selfishness. That when you live for yourself, when you live for your own kingdom, it brings disaster and folly. And yet, Jesus speaks a better word, does he not? There is a monument that we too remember, but it's not a monument of selfishness. It is a monument of selflessness. It is the cross of Christ. Where Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died and he rose victoriously in our place so that we could like him take up the servant's heart. We could take up the ministry of the towel like Jesus did and lay down our lives for the good of others Folks, Jesus died so you could be a servant Perhaps, perhaps we are never more like the Savior than when we serve So can we be people not of the pile of stones, not of the valley of Achor? Can we be people of the cross of Christ? People of the towel marked by the ministry and the spirit and the aroma of Christ as we just give ourselves away for his kingdom. We just give ourselves away till there's nothing left. And then the end, we are able to say, worthy, worthy. You are worthy of our praise and honor and glory and power, both now and for all generations. And all God's people said, amen. "Amen." Let's sing of the worthiness of the glory of our Savior.